and welcome to Things of Interest. I'm Sophia Francis. And I'm Serena Chen. Today, fashion. So, we both wear clothes, and I've watched America's Next Top Model and Project Runway. So, it's only natural that we have an episode on fashion. It's one of those great areas that's predominantly ignored and sidelined because it's, well, for women. But whether you're stuck paying a penny tax, trying to figure out what ethical fashion looks like and how to do it, or wishing literally any of your clothes have pockets, it's a really interesting space. And for most of us, it's one of the few spaces that will impact and define all of our personal and professional interactions. Clothes are a way to show you belong to a group, or to emphasise your difference. You can dress for the job you want, although spacesuits don't come cheap. What impacts those choices, and how those choices impact you, can have a major effect on every single aspect of your life. So Serena, you recently spoke at the CSS conference here in Melbourne. Was it a conscience decision to wear the tech uniform of a black turtleneck? That's a really, really good question. Um, it wasn't a conscious decision to wear a tech uniform, um, but I did want to wear something that was quite muted, um, not very colourful, so people could concentrate on my talk rather than looking at what I was wearing. Um, and I have like a, a weird face shape, so turtlenecks, I think, are really good on me. And I just got, <laughs> <laughs> I just got mine from Save Mart like a couple of weeks ago, so it's like my current fave thing to wear. Uh, oh, nice. Yeah. What did surprise me afterwards, though, was the number of Steve Jobs references people made, because at the time I didn't connect the two at all. I and mean, that's what I thought when I saw the photos. Yeah, like... yeah, that's what, apparently that's what a lot of people thought. And then, I guess it's like, if you think about tech uniforms, what do we see? We see, like, Mark Zuckerberg's t-shirt and hoodie combo, Steve Jobs' black turtleneck, and then I'm like, wait a minute, I wear that stuff on the daily. So maybe, <laughs> maybe I am, like, making this subconscious connection to what I like to what role I see myself performing and what I wear but on a conscious level it really wasn't there so do you like and this is going to be a very dorky question do you choose your clothes like the night before no I used to do that and sometimes like if I'm if I'm really good if I've like had a fantastic organized day and I'm going to bed uh before midnight then maybe I'll be like oh maybe I'll check the the weather forecast tomorrow and see what clothes I should wear but usually it's just wake up in the morning and uh grab the closest thing to me if no one saw me in these clothes uh the day before then it's fine I can wear them again um and if someone has then I just like grab the next thing so, no, it's, it's a very fast-paced... Like, I'm usually late. <laughs> so, it's, it's oh, a, I'm, I, I know, Serena, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's not a, a deliberated decision. <laughs> How about you? I really do. Um, and part of that is because, like, often my days will be quite different. So there are some mm. days where I spend the entire day in the lab. Like, I don't have any meetings, or if I do, like, I'm not super caring about what they think about how I'm dressed like mm. I've I'm a third year now like I've got my relationship with my supervisor to the point where they could see me and like 
trackies and a t-shirt with no bra and they'd be kind of like all right so how's your experiments going (laughs) um but it means like so some nights I'll be going to an event or some nights I'll be teaching or some nights I'll be you know going out for dinner Mm. and so the night before I'll think about that and be like okay what am I doing what's appropriate to wear like how do I want to be perceived by these people and so, like, I'll often find when I go to things like um, the Biotech Melbourne network meetups or women in science events, well, women in science events, I wear very colourful clothes because I love it and I know I can get away with it. Mm. Um, but for, like, events where I'm meeting people that I want to hire me someday, I go very Yopro. Like, mm. it's just... And, I mean, I try and wear things I'm comfortable in. I don't think I wear a pair of heels that hurts my feet, which I think is a key thing to Mm. remember and most a lot of my clothes are pockets not as many as I'd like to have pockets (laughs) yep the age old (laughs) 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 it was interesting because so our our office is out of operation at the moment um, because of the earthquake so we're working everywhere and for some days for a few days this week uh, I've been working on the terrace, which is like the super yo pro, like lawyers and accountants, and and I found myself putting on a blazer <laughs> when I went to work there, which was interesting because um, when I was working around like around Cuba Street and stuff, I'd be dressed very differently. Um, yeah, so it's it's interesting how we how we use fashion to try and fit in to the different places that we are. Even if it's just, like, the difference of, like, working on one street versus the adjacent street. Or, like, um, I haven't owned jeans in seven years now. What? Um, jeans are great. <laughs> but now I'm working somewhere where a lot of people wear jeans and I find myself mm. thinking more and more often, like, man, I should maybe buy a pair of jeans. <laughs> and that's weird because it's, it's because I'm seeing it every day and I'm like, I'm seeing people clearly wearing clothes that they like and are comfortable in. And part of that mm. is jeans. And it's like, mm, maybe, maybe <laughs> jeans would be okay. That's cool. Hey, you mentioned pockets before. Yeah. Yeah, so shall we talk about... <laughs> How about that? <laughs> How about that, hey? <laughs> Oh, I hate women's clothing so much. It's, it's so like, bad. One of my favourite things is when you're wearing a cute skirt or dress and another girl compliments you and your response can be, it has pockets. And they'll just yep. be like, oh my god, it has pockets. Yep. This is the best thing I've ever seen. It's incredible. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the bulk of women's clothing either won't have pockets We'll have pockets that have been sewn shut, which I've had a few times, and I have a like yep. unpicker so I can get into them now. Or um, yeah. pockets that aren't pockets. So like the fake pockets, fake pockets are like one of the banes of my existence. Like why yes. do you put them there? It's just, oh. Apparently this dates back to the 1800s and even before that. The fact that, you know, women's clothes are made to look pretty. And men's clothes are made to be functional, like it, they're supposed to do what they're supposed to do. Whereas for us, it's like, no, we don't need that. Our only function in society is to look pretty. Beep boop, woman bot. Um, one of the things that might change that is actually uh, the iPhone. In that the latest iPhone mm-hmm. just 
will not fit into even the questionable pockets we're given. And so designers are actually starting to put pockets on clothes so women can carry their iPhone, (laughs) Um, which is a very bizarre combination of market forces. Uh, that but one I will is. definitely accept. <laughs> yeah. So we've been complaining about not having pockets for centuries now. And it's the iPhone? Yeah. <laughs> that gives us the pockets? Okay. Well, I mean, I guess I'll take it. Oh, definitely. I also found that um my shopping got a lot more efficient when I made the rule that I can't buy skirts that don't have pockets in them unless they're, mm. like, real good real cheap <laughs> yeah do you find yourself buying much uh, men's clothing I used to like I go through stages of being quite butch in how I dress um, but I have a really good waist so I don't like hiding mm. it <laughs> yeah. and men's clothing tends to not be designed to accentuate the waist so I try and stay in women's clothing um, I know for basics a lot of the time men's clothing is cheaper uh, yeah. which is really fr- cheaper and just like better in general. Yeah, like thicker materials, better fabrics. And doesn't have like weird beading on it. Like you go to Kmart looking for like a plain white singlet and half of them have like <laughs> a fancy neckband or something. It's like, no thanks. I just want a singlet. It's to go under my clothes. Um, <laughs> no beading for me. Goodbye. Mm. Um, I buy some men's underwear because it's more comfortable. Men's underwear is really comfy, yeah. Also, you can get the um the real nerdy stuff. So like, I have I have a set of Star Wars underwear that is men's underwear. I have a set of um Marvel underwear that's men's underwear. They don't make that stuff mm. for women often, like. No, they don't. It's the assumption that women just want to be pretty and have lacy things, and it's like cool. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I want to put Iron Man on my butt. Yeah. No, that's interesting. I found that my wardrobe has a surprising amount of men's clothing. Not because I go out and buy it, but because the men in my life don't want a particular piece. And I'm like, no, how could you throw that out? And <laughs> I just end up wearing it. Um, and I found that, okay, A, pockets, <laughs> obviously. Um, yeah. B, definitely, like, better fabric quality. Yeah. Um, yeah. And see, with some adjustments, you can rock it. So, yeah, I, I think I might start looking at the men's section for basics. Because I, I, too, have come across the, like, all I want is a plain white t-shirt. That is yeah. all I want. And then you just cannot find it. And I don't want a baby doll neckline. And mm. I don't want this. I just I just want it to be a t-shirt. Thank you. <laughs> no, it's, um, I actually have a few t-shirts uh, that I got from my dad or that my mum will, like, buy from the men's section. Um, and typically they're, like, exercise t-shirts because mm-hmm. most of my life I'm wearing shirts or dresses. Um, and they're just, like, some of the most comfortable clothing I own. <laughs> mm. um, I saw there was a wonderful experiment uh, a female designer did recently where she made a um, t-shirt design. And she sold it only in sort of the classic, quote-unquote, women's style um, and called it unisex. Oh. And just got, like, an incredible amount of complaints from men where they were just like, but where's the yes. man? She's like, no, it's it's unisex. It's unisex. <laughs> There's um, a, another great T-shirt with the phrase, um, ladies is gender neutral. 
Yeah. Which is fantastic. So good. Um, it's like back in, oh, back in the day, how people used to complain that there was like a female transformer and like you didn't need another one, and the other ones didn't have gender, but the female one was definitely female, and it's like cool, yeah. great, thanks. I think that's actually one of the reasons I try to stick to like women's clothing to an extent. Like I don't, mm. I don't like the idea that the dominant group is kind of invisible. And by wearing men's clothing and kind of accepting that as, like, the gender-neutral option, I'm kind of buying into that. Mm. And I think it's, like, I look really good in women's clothing. Like, I am, I have, I have a fly body. Uh, (laughs) So by wearing, like, the sort of quote-unquote women's clothing, by wearing dresses, by wearing, like, skirts and heels... Mm. I'm still genderqueer. It's just like, these are the clothes that I like, and I like putting on my yeah. body. And people like Jaden Smith have said things like this. Um, Jaden Smith, in his characteristically esoteric <laughs> way, being like, clothes Listen. are just clothes. Yeah. Well, he was in the, um, that photo shoot where he wore a, whole, wore a whole bunch of skirts and looked really nice. Yeah, he looked fly. She. Oh. Men look yeah. really good in dresses. And I think it, it is all about, it's not about the item of clothing. It's about how you style it and also how you carry it when you wear it. Oh, most just, definitely. Just being, I don't know, confident body language. Just emitting that is enough to carry anything. I'd be so there for just more men in skirts and dresses. Like, a lot of the time men have really nice legs, but they never really show them off. It's a real shame. <laughs> Speaking of nice legs on men, yeah, heels were first invented to show off the nice legs on the yeah. men. Was yeah, was it Louis the Fifteenth? The there are a few different stories because, like, the very first heel was designed to like help with um horse riding and like ninth century uh Mongolia and things like that. But like the origin of the high heel, like as we use it today. Like, that was to make men's legs look good. And that's why when you see a lot of paintings from that kind of era of Louis the Fifteenth, men will be, like, pointing their toes and they'll have really tight tights on up until about the knee because it's just, like, the calf was supposed to be, like, a good calf symbolised virility. Um, and so then people were like, <laughs> yeah, look at my sick calves. Oh, check out my heels. I'm so attractive in the legs. Um, and that was just like the style of the day. Like that was what you wanted to see as being kind of sexy. Um, and it's just one of the things that makes me so happy is that heels were invented because men wanted to make themselves look prettier. What is interesting is that the heel in men's shoes fell out of fashion because there's been a general trend in history of minimizing non-functional items in men's clothing. And it's like, I don't know. I kind of want it to like balance the scales a bit and have women's clothing that's functional, please. Um, but also have men's clothing that can be decorative, that you can display your personality with. Oh, most definitely. Like, I think it kind of sucks for men a lot of times. Like, particularly when I go to, like, um, black tie events where mm. men have one outfit. Yeah. <laughs> and women can look just, like, whatever. Like, I feel like that really sucks for men. And 
I would like to see more range and like more totally useless clothes than that. <laughs> It'll be really good. Yeah. I'm actually um quite the fan of high heels and that's partly because uh, I tend to think I'm about 10 centimeters taller than I actually am. <laughs> um, so heels minimizes that difference. <laughs> I love heels as well. And I, um, I wear them almost every day now, which some people are like, oh, Serena, you're so tall. Why are you still wearing heels? But honestly, I think, I think I feel the way you feel in that. Like I, if I could be taller, I would love to be taller. Like I want to be as tall as I can possibly be. Yeah. I want to stick out in the middle of a crowd. <laughs> Gaze down on everyone. Or just like have a good view, really. <laughs> <laughs> Or be included in conversations with tall men. The dream. Yeah. The dream. <laughs> yeah, well, I have found that I feel like I'm more present in conversations at work when I'm in heels because I'm around about the same eye line as everyone else, uh, yeah. usually men. So, yeah, that, that definitely helps. We sort of wear heels to, like, make up the mismatch in height and eye line. And I had an experience recently where I was just, like, kind of... So, I had a really big ovarian cyst, um, mm. which meant I couldn't really stand for long periods of time. And during that period of time, I needed to, to present a poster. And the group I was presenting was, like, they were really great. They got me a chair. They, like, made sure I was okay. Um, but I had two people who were reviewing my poster. And the first one came through and she spoke to me and we talked about my poster and I stood up for a bit because I could. The second person, he just would not speak to me until I stood up. Like he was not acknowledging I was there. And I was just like, my dude, like, it's really painful for me to stand. And it kind of really struck me. And it's slightly embarrassing. It took me this long to really notice that people who are in wheelchairs, people who like, can't stand up are so affected by this fact that apparently we just things below our eyeline don't exist it's enough to to change so like this this sounds completely unrelated but in supermarkets its companies will buy off sections of shelving to put their products on uh, and the most primo spot is in the uh the mid top part of the shelf because that's usually where people standing their eyelines are that's stuff that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars of difference whether you put your products there whether you put your products um, further up or lower down and if if that can be if the impact of where something is according to your eyeline has that much of a dollar effect then thinking about like if if you're in a wheelchair if you're if you're sitting down if you're um taller than average or shorter than average just thinking about how much that will affect your life like the fact that we've placed this uh very large dollar difference to where we put even just products on a shelf um tells us just how important it is to be in the eyeline of someone. And that just means that if you are not... If you're not standing, essentially. If you're not standing and you're not of, like, average height. Mm. Or even slightly above average, because often the important conversations are being had with men. Yeah. <laughs> I 
have definitely noticed that. Yeah. No, that was just something that really struck me as being, like, a big issue that we don't really talk about so much, is, like, Mm. the fact that we tend to restrict our conversations or, like, at the very least subconsciously exclude people on the basis of height means that people who are in wheelchairs or, like, are for other reasons of a different height, like, are just excluded from those conversations, like, can't be in them. Mm. So did you ever watch America's Next Top Model? Yes. Yay! Did you see it's coming back? No, I haven't watched it uh, recently. I've seen it in my youth. So it got cancelled, like, a year ago or something. Um, But they are, like, restarting it entirely again. Um, Have a new cycle of girls going through. Um, Mm -hmm. And... It's quote-unquote diverse, like, there are transgender models, there are, I don't know, twins and some shit, like, it's... <laughs> being a twin, apparently diverse. Um, yep. Hold on, I have some of the lists here. There are Asian models, African models, um, transgender models, an androgynous model, like, that's really cool, uh, but Danielle Brooks... Um, wrote like an open letter to them on Instagram Mm -hmm. because there weren't any plus size women Mm. like no plus size models and like Danielle Brooks has really been an advocate for this um she's one of the actresses on Orange is the New Black she played Tasty um yeah yeah and she's like this huge advocate for plus size stuff like she's done some fantastic talks um and the comment she'll often make is like 67% of women in the U.S. are plus size yeah. And she has a difficulty where she can be flipping through a fashion magazine and if she's lucky, she'll see like two African American models and one plus size model and the plus size model will be white. Mm. And she's kind of like, Well, cool, that's great, that's a fun time for me, but also like sixty seven percent of women in the US are plus size. Like Yeah, and it isn't it isn't it fucked up that they're called plus size when 67% are of that size? Maybe that should be called normal size then? Like, average size? Most definitely. I think, like, um, often the idea behind models is that they're kind of, like, coat hangers that you hang your clothes on to show them off. And, like, as an extension of that, they're often, like, rail thin. And Mm. the modeling industry is a hotbed of messiness. Um, Yeah. And models should probably unionize a whole bunch more than they do already. Uh, (laughs) I've heard some stories. It's just like, you should really have a union. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but like, that's something I found really weird, particularly as a kid, like watching America's Next Top Model is like, plus size models weren't that big. Mm. And often they'd have like, big boobs and a big butt and like, no waist. And like, Within and other places, and didn't have any of the weird neck fat that I've somehow developed in the last year. Like, <laughs> you you don't have models that look like that, and but that's mm. what people look like. <laughs> What's incredible is when you see like one of those uh, a runway walk in real life, because you know if you see them on TV and stuff, you're like, okay, so this is what models look like. Sure, fine, whatever. But when you see them in real life, it's really worrying. Like you can see their bones through their skin. And what's even more scary is the fact that models start off really young. So they start off like 13, 14, 15, 
mm-hmm. and they do the biggest runway shows when they're really young. And it's a it's very uncommon for a model to keep doing runway shows as she gets older, like past twenty five. Yeah, that's fucked up. Even in our lifetimes, like the modeling industry has started actually responding to criticisms and like not having models who like look sick or are size zero or and like not having really young models do like Paris Fashion Week and stuff like that. But it's still like really messy and also doesn't show what your clothes look like when they're on people. No. There's actually a whole episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch on this as well. Yeah. Um, where they were going to a fancy party and Sabrina like magicked away the dresses of this really fancy designer for her and her aunts and the designer saw her aunts and he was like oh my god these dresses look terrible on these women and everyone's like well it's kind of not their fault and he was like ah I must design for a woman's body not just like (laughs) the perfect body and it's like okay cool alright good good job must design for a woman so like do your job yeah pretty much design for like any woman's body and actually one of my favourite things from Project Runway is, like, Tim Gunn is a huge supporter of, like, plus-size fashion mm. because he kind of says, like, if you can't That's design great. for most of America, what are you doing being a designer? Yeah. It's like to say if I were an architect and I just built one building, just the one, and that was, like, my entire career was just cranking out the exact same building every single time. And sometimes it was great. in different colours and yeah, that was it. That's it. Sometimes the door frames are different. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I actually know um Ollie Henderson, who's a model here in Australia, and she's done a few different um campaigns. It's always quite fun seeing someone you know on a billboard. Um, but something she's done is she's founded a clothing company called House of Riot as well. Oh uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and because her thought was that. Young people are often kind of excluded from the political process and from being engaged Mm. in those kind of activities. And a lot of the time it's kind of like, well, you know, just like go and read Teen Vogue, go and like care about fashion. And so what she's done is she's founded a fashion line that allows you to be an activist through your clothing choices. Mm. Um, And so we both have a shirt that says I am a feminist on it um, Mm -hmm. in really big letters, which is ridiculously comfortable. Have you tried it on yet? No, it's... But I have felt it a lot. It's so comfortable. (laughs) Yeah, which I think is really, really impressive and, like, really cool. Like, House of Riot is probably one of my favourite brands. Mm. Um, They're also part of a movement sort of in ethical fashion, Mm -hmm. um, which is something I've been thinking about a lot lately. One of my friends on Facebook posted a thing about um, op shopping and sort of how op shops are, like, a really good ethical choice to make, particularly, and also, like, yeah. a really cheap choice to make. So, like... Yes. You Fucking can love op shops. Yes. Yeah, so she was talking about, um, like, the clothes that she's got from op shops and why they're such a good decision and, like, the major um, brands that have, like, pretty good ethical scores or whatever from the big group that does that. And then I posted something on Facebook sort of, like, inspired by that, talking about, like the brands I really like that are ethical, that do make sure that there aren't any, isn't any factory labour there that isn't, like, anything that's causing people to suffer. And we'll often work with um 
small businesses and often work with women in order to help develop that. So groups like the Artisan mm. Project, um, Colors of Brazil, Global Mamas, um, they work with people who are creating products and then help them import or export rather uh, and sell their things to markets in Australia and New Zealand and anywhere over the world. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the whole ethical fashion thing has been a real conundrum. Um, and because of that, and also because of the fact that I'm extremely cheap um, and I go to op shops anyway, I've, I'd say about 90% of my wardrobe, maybe even more than that, is all secondhand. So it's either um, family friends who are a bit older than me and like they've grown out of their clothes and they pass it on to me, or Save Mart is... Yeah. <laughs> and my flatmates can attest to this. It is my favorite place ever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and like the, the turtle net I got was from Save Mart. It's such, nice. such a great place. Um, and never going to the Salvation yeah. Army because, haha, nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> nope. Also, they don't have as good as a selection. Yeah. Um, the the <laughs> one I went... <laughs> The one I went to all the time in Dunedin was um the St. Vincent de Paul. Yes. Because they were so close to uni. <laughs> yeah. I lived above them. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're great. I got, like, the coolest rain jacket from them that I've now lost. But, oh, yeah. No, that place is great. And op shops are, like, the only way you can not really guarantee ethical clothing, but know that you're not doing any more harm or putting any more demand on an unethical system. Yeah. So it's it's a pretty safe bet. But yeah, ethics in fashion is really difficult because when you look at these factories, they're terrible conditions, um, often employing children, young women. But at the same time, it's like, well, if that factory weren't there, they wouldn't be earning money to put food on the table. So how do we, like, reconcile those two things like I've heard that argument right like um yeah god I was reading a book about I think like worldwide health economics and like the call was sort of made that like a young woman in Bangladesh likes working at a Levi's factory because it means she earns money and it's like but I also feel she'd like working at somewhere that like gave her a living wage like she'd like that a lot more like, mm. I feel like the people that are earning money to put food on the table in Southeast Asia and in China, like, they'd probably like yeah. it more if they were treated with respect and weren't at risk of, like, losing their hands every day. Like, <laughs> there's, like, yeah, the comparison to what they would have if the factory wasn't there, which I think is a really false comparative, because people are still going to want to buy jeans, right? Like, <laughs> the comparative yes. you should be making is, like, would it actually be more expensive for us to ensure that these people, like, don't get cancer from whatever they're working with to make sure that these people, mm. like, aren't put at risk every day of their lives. And realistically, it's a pretty marginal cost that, like, everywhere has huge overheads now. Like, factory-created clothes. Like, I won't buy from H&M <laughs> because mm-hmm. I think they charge too much for stuff that's been factory-created. Mm-hmm. Which is, like, a very weird thought to have because, like, I've been... And I still sometimes am, depending on how the week's gone, right? Like, at a point where I have to be like, oh, I need to buy that from Kmart because, like, I do not have enough money to get it from anywhere else. Mm. And a lot of Kmart stuff is quite likely, I haven't checked this, please don't sue me, Kmart, um, factory created. Mm. But 
the mon- but the cost of it is like low enough that I'm kind of fine with yeah. that, and I don't bother checking. Like, but H and M is like forty dollars for this ugly ass shirt. Okay, cool. I'm so glad people are suffering for you to make a bunch of money off this. Good job. I did see a a list like a ranking of different brands and how ethical their production line was, and Kmart ranked pretty well. Actually, yeah, no, Kmart is surprisingly high. Like I said, I never checked this because it was so cheap I didn't care, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. It, Kmart does actually look very good. I take everything I see back. Very sorry, Kmart. I love all of your products. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I walk in, I spend too much money. Thank you. <laughs> also, their homeware section. Amazing. Oh, so good. Um, but yeah, it's like if, if you look at Glassons, they have a worse, a worse rating than Kmart. Things like Dotty, like like they're just JJ's, Just Jeans, Levi's, Levi's. They're all they're all worse. Yeah, <laughs> which is not to say that like Kmart's production line is particularly good or anything. It's just that the the bar is so low here. Also, just like if you're factory creating things, don't charge me a hundred dollars for a pair of jeans that my thighs are gonna rub through in six months. Like, don't do yeah. that. <laughs> it just it really confuses me that there's so much suffering essentially going into the creation of their clothes and then the companies doing that still have the audacity to charge us like through the nose for them and like not that i'm Mm. saying that if they charge us cheaply it would like be ethically better it's just something that really frustrates me about the whole equation is they're going not only are we going to make people suffer we're not going to take any of the profits we make and we're making a lot of profits and put that into making those people safer because fuck them right uh the funniest thing though is um when the ethical clothing scores came out um there's a company in australia and it might be in wellington as well i'm not sure called gorman which kind of prides Mm -hmm. itself on being like ethical and sustainable and they refuse to answer any of the questions that were asked to them by this like ethical or like refuse to be reviewed and so they got an f which Mm -hmm. is like one of the funniest things i've ever seen because everyone who buys gorman like lost their shit and were just like what do you mean you're unethical like that is your entire brand <laughs> like how dare you it was oh it was so beautiful there is there is something that feels very gross about companies who want to take on that ethical branding for for marketing purposes and not actually embody that in any way well i mean new zealand as a country does that right yeah like, we yeah. really market ourselves on our clean, green view and support the dairy industry. We can't swim in the waters. Yeah. yeah. We can't swim in the rivers. Woo! And not only support the dairy industry, but, like, have minimal repercussions when they, like, export stuff with poison in it to China. Like, what was that? Yeah. <laughs> Why it's... were we just kind of fine with the fact that we poisoned a bunch of babies in China? Like... Oh, also, it, like, a bunch of people in Havelock North. Oh, shit. The, so did you hear about the, the water getting contaminated there? No, tell me everything. I think, I think like, two people died. Um, 5,000 people became sick with gastro, and it occurred when a bore contaminated the Hawke's Bay town's water supply with Campylobacter. Cool. About 5,000 people got sick, I think. One or two actually died. Um, they were quite old. And yeah, that was because of runoff contaminating water supplies. And it's just like, well, maybe 
maybe we should look into that. And like it's much more endemic in um the North Island than the South Island, but we're turning a lot of our water catchment areas into dairy farms and into the kind mm. of um ground that like doesn't filter water well. Like one of the huge advantages of um Dunedin's water supply and like living in Otago is um we have a lot of the tussocks surrounding us, which naturally filters mm. a lot of the water and like it still goes through a filtration plant before we like put it in taps and shit. But like mm. that means that you have a prior natural filtration system, which means you don't have to get as much gunk out of the water when you put it through your water cleaning plant. Mm. Um and like in the North Island there's so much pressure for like and like a lot of pressure from Fonterra. I have very mixed feelings about Fonterra. Um, to turn a lot like more land into dairy farms. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if we do that, then instead of like having kind of natural filtration like um like the Tusk on the Desert Road provides, you have a farm that the runoff actively hurts your water supply. It's just like yeah. It seems like this is a bad thing to do, and maybe you should not do the thing. I don't have great feelings towards Fonterra, just because we as a country should really be diversifying our uh, exports, and they're like 30% of our GDP. Yeah. No, um... Which means that there can be like a rumour, like not even true, there'll be a rumour that our milk is contaminated and our dollar will drop, and you will see that. Yeah. That... Is not good. <laughs> yeah. No, um, the farm that I sort of spent a lot of time on growing up was a sheep farm. So we did um, lamb and wool. Mm. And we're changing almost entirely. I think we barely have like 40 sheep now to cattle because there's just no money in New Zealand lamb or wool or any of that. Because a lot of government support is actually going towards dairy farms. And yeah. Fonterra is a really powerful lobbying body because it is 30% of our mm. GDP. It's like, oh, cool. Well, I mean, like, on the grand scheme of groups that could be lobbying the government, I feel like the dairy industry is probably, like, one of the less dangerous ones. Like, <laughs> my, I just thought that, like, compared to the NRA, like, not that big a deal. But quite a big deal when it comes to, like, New Zealand's ecosystem. Yeah, I guess guns, like, aren't really a big thing here. Uh, whereas in the States, that's completely different. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes. Uh, we've got really off the theme of fashion. <laughs> <We have. laughs> yeah. Should we go back to talking about, like, cool fashion stuff? Hey, have I told you about my sister? You told me a bit about her, but I don't think on the show. So you should tell everyone about how cool your sister is. Okay, my sister is super cool. Um, <laughs> she has her own clothing line called Rookie Apparel. And she sells her clothing line over Instagram. And she's thinking of starting a new clothing line um, called New Laundry. And she's going to be, like, volunteering at Dunedin Fashion Week next year. Um, And she's 16. So, yeah, she is very cool. Oh, her stuff looks really awesome. Are you looking at Rookie Apparel right now? I am. She looks nothing uh, like you, though. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and this kind of stuff is really cool because because of Instagram and, like, the internet. My sister can actually sustain a business. She has her own business, mm. um, which is incredible. 
That's amazing. Like, I just... I was playing a lot of Age of Empires when I was 16. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not doing very much else. Like, this is this is yep. amazing. Like... Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, and, like, just her taste is... On so point, great. like, oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So everyone should go check out my sister's Instagram oof. because it's great. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, that's actually how Black Milk kind of started as well, is uh, the guy James Ooh. Lily, I want to say. Um, he was actually trying to get shops to stock his stuff after people were like buying leakings off him like through his blog. Mm. And he's going around all of the different shops and all of them are like, yeah, we'll call you back, mate. Um, mm. And never did, obviously. And so he's just like, well, fine, I'll just sell online. And now it's like Boom. this international, like, big deal where yeah. they're like, a lot of the work and the painting and the dyeing is done in Brisbane. And it's just like, nice. Good job. Nice. And, like, he, he partly started because there wasn't any geek stuff for women. And, like, one of the mm. first pieces he made was an R2-D2 swimsuit because <laughs> they're, like, a million pieces of, like, Marvel and Star Wars and, like, nerd stuff for dudes. So cool. And women like wearing clothes that represent our interests. Just like yeah. every, like, just like men, just like people without gender. Like, you should let us buy that stuff. Mm-hmm. And they're one-piece swimsuits, which is just like, oh, the dream. I really like one-piece uh, swimsuits because it means you can, like, actually do proper swimming in them rather than being like, oh, let us throw a ball around the beach. No shame to anyone who wears <laughs> bikinis. I have a really nice bikini as well. But, like, I need my options. Yeah. It's so great. What I really do love hearing about are, uh, like, grassroots fashion designers that just kind of spring out of nowhere with really awesome stuff and they get to sustain themselves because of the internet. That's one That's of my really favourite things about the internet, to be honest. Hmm. It's, it's just like, it's helping a lot of people create and dispense their just stuff. do what they love. Yeah. Yeah. So probably something we should also touch on. Mm-hmm. If, you know, briefly... How about that bikini ban, huh? Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> so something um, that we often forget, particularly living in Australia and New Zealand, as we do, um, is that France can be, like, real racist. Um, and I've mm-hmm. spoken to a woman who moved over from France and her husband was from the um, the Mauritius, I think. And he, like, he doesn't look particularly brown when he's here but in France everyone's like oh you're from the Mauritius you're not really French like at one point he lost his passport and had to spend like two hours with the police being like no no I'm French I'm, I'm from the Mauritius France literally oh. owns these islands like can I please get a new passport they're like well why are you really here he's like because I live in France now that is my life um and so like there's a lot of uh anti-religious sentiment as well um and Typically, this will come against, like, more overt displays of religios- religiosity. So, like, if you're wearing a crucifix on a pendant, like, that's not very obvious. If you're wearing a hijab, it is. <laughs> and people get real mad about it. 
Um, and something that France has done sort of because of quote-unquote Islamic extremism, whatever that means, but really more because France is, like, not into religion and is pretty goddamn racist. Like, mm. they banned the burkini, which is a, like, basically a wetsuit with a hood, right? Mm-hmm. Problem being um, that people that wear the burkini aren't only Islamic people. It's people who might have a skin condition, um... There are women with skin cancer who buy burkinis because they're like, well, I want to go to the beach, but I also don't want my melanoma to get worse. So I'm going to wear this. Um, just like for whatever reason, if you want to cover up your whole body, then that's fine. Like um, the French police made a woman who was not Islamic, like get undressed because she was wearing too many clothes at the beach. Like she had a scarf over her head to sleep in the sun and they like came up to her with guns and of course she wasn't white. <laughs> like, that's that's kind of the situation that's happening. And I think it's super messed up because, like, the way that you get religious extremism is by, by trying to, like, aggressively subdue members of a particular religion. Which someone should tell the French government. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know. It's another case also of the fact that women can't really be anything without someone, some man, telling her that it's morally wrong. Like, sometimes, I don't know, it's like, if you were to wear a bikini, you that's, like, too revealing, then that's not okay. If you're, like, covering up, and then you're too prudish, and that's not okay. It's just like, let us live. Yeah, there yeah. was um a few nice images of the woman who was being made to, like, take off the top that she had over her bikini or whatever, um, mm-hmm. put alongside men measuring the length of women's swimsuits from, like, the 1920s. Mm. I just, like, that's a fun juxtaposition. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, we're never going to be sufficient. <laughs> Goodness. It's also just, like, by implementing a bikini ban, what you're not doing is, like decreasing the visible... Well, it's like, what you're doing is you are decreasing the visible signs of people being Islamic, but you're doing that by stopping Islamic women from going to the beach. Hmm. It's just like, well, that's not cool. <laughs> like, you're not going to stop... Like, if if your issue, if your perceived issue is that, like, wearing the burkini is, like, the subjugation of women, then... What you're doing is you're saying would rather that women don't leave the house at all rather than going to the beach. Yeah. By having like a hijab ban and a bank or like having a straight niqab ban and like not allowing women to have like a modesty room where they can like show their face to a female teller. What you're doing is you're preventing women from going to the bank. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is like further entrenching any kind of perceived subjugation of women, which like isn't, a result of Islam, but rather the result of, like, world over patriarchal culture. Yeah. And it's further in- entrenching those uh, anti-Western sentiments as well. Yeah, definitely. Like you're creating a breeding ground for the extremism that you're wanting to tackle. Like, imagine being a 15-year-old boy who sees the fact that your mom and your sisters can't go to the beach, can't, like, use a bank account, like, your sisters have to, like, take their hijab off to go to school, like, 
that would make you real mad. Like, yeah. clearly that's going to feed into some kind, like, pushing back against the state. And, like, I don't mm. necessarily want to, like, call this Islamic extremism because it's just, like, the revolution of people who are pushed down under the foot of an oppressive government and it's totally understandable. Yeah. Like, basically, hey, hey, world governments that listen to this podcast, don't treat your, <laughs> like, don't treat your people like shit. Get yeah. it together. <laughs> because when you treat people or even, like, one particular group like shit, you're going to have increased social unrest because of the increased, like, divisiveness of society, right? Like, just get it together, my dudes. Mm. Have you never read a book? I know racism <laughs> is, like, real fun and stuff, but just, you know, do your best to hold it in. Hold it in. Don't do the racism. Or, like, figure out how to decrease it in your constituents. Like, the mm. way you decrease racism isn't by buying into that to get elected. Like, it's by yeah. getting people to talk to each other and come together once you are elected. Like... It's really easy. <laughs> and like, Middle Eastern food is really good. <laughs> so just hold an international food fest and you'll be fine. <laughs> Having a kebab right now. Can attest. Oh, I went to the is great. Coburg markets last night and there's so much Middle Eastern food and I ate halloumi chips, which is deep fried halloumi. Um, and it was like the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's so good. Yeah. Something really cool that happened in Australia sort of earlier this year is um, there was a lifeguard, like, bikini designed, um, mm-hmm. which means there's now, like, a bunch of Muslim women who are, like, surf lifesavers. Cool. Which is super cool. My friend Yasmin was at um, their big, like, launch, and it just, it looks so good. They all look so cool, and I'm very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Gives me hope when, like, you hear and see about, see those things happening in the world. Places of, I don't know, like, inclusiveness and tolerance. And a coming together of people rather than the pushing apart. That's, that's the kind of stuff we need to see more of. Yeah, and groups that do good stuff, like, surviving, right? Like, and doing Mm. well. Like, one of my favourite things of House of Riot, like, is it... They do things like donate 20% of every t-shirt sold to charity and the, like, words you have on your t-shirt reflect the charity it goes to. They help put on, like, um, they run a program that, like, combines local artists with, like, educating young people on social and political issues. And it's, like, that's not just, like, corporate responsibility or, like, whatever the latest buzzword for that is. It's people actually... (laughs) doing stuff because they reckon it's important. Hmm. And that's really cool to me. Like, and no no shame to, like, people who practice corporate responsibility because I don't really care about your motivations if what you do is make the world a better place. But, like, mm. it's also super cool to see people who are just kind of going, like, oh, hold on. When, like, there's something missing here. Like, young people care about the society yeah. they live in and the society they're growing up in. Young people care about equality. Like, we can do something to help develop that and we can do something that's really like well aligned with the skills we already have. Yeah. Hey, talking about like 
nicer things because this episode is probably going to be released um around about the new year yeah um would you like to do a retro of this year and share like i don't know so happy candle nights everyone um i think this year's been really tough for pretty much everyone um, mm. A lot of bullshit has happened in the world, all of which I'm still angry about. But you can't give up. And I think what we've seen this year is that people don't give up. With the Dakota mm. Access Pipeline like being moved away from where Native American groups are, with the fact that like while Trump got elected, a lot of people are participating in nonviolent activism and like going out there and being good to each other and being nice to each other and supporting each other with the fact that like politics kind of everywhere is in a little bit of disarray like both New Zealand and Australia have changed prime ministers this year but in my area where I live in Australia um my favorite senator got elected again and she has a degree in science and she has a female partner and she is super in touch with everyone and just the nicest person I've ever met and she is in parliament doing her best and that's awesome like Mm. there's still a lot of good out there and I think it's fine if sometimes you need to turn your brain off a little bit to whatever's happening in the world but just don't switch off forever because every single person helps better things happen And I think 2017 isn't going to be better. It's not going to be easier. But we'll all figure out how to be better at dealing with 2017. What has been really... What has been really inspiring uh, after the shitstorms of this year was just seeing how many of my friends started realizing that politics i mean as gross and as uh, unsexy as it is is really vital to our everyday lives and the inspiring part was seeing so many of them sign up with local political parties and get involved and really put themselves uh, in a place where their voice would be heard and one of my friends um, ran for, she ran for her local council position um, and she got it. And just, I don't know, just seeing the, the slow but sure movement of people who um, I know and also people who I don't know getting more and more involved in the everyday workings of government um, in activist positions, uh, with activism groups, just seeing people really activate was really inspiring. Because, I mean, yes, it was a shitstorm of a year, but seeing how we reacted to it uh, as like a people really says that we care and we are not going to sit back and allow intolerance and racism and fascism to take over. We're going to 
we're going to do something. We're going to get involved with our local communities. And that's, that's worth a lot. And I think, I don't know, there's not much to be said about being optimistic or pessimistic about the future, but, I mean, the facts are these. People uh, seem divided, but in a response to everything that's happened, I think we're less divided, more than ever. And I think that's a powerful thing that we can ride on. And we don't tell each other this enough, but I am so inspired by everyone around me. And mm. I think one of the biggest things I ever learned was to like to essentially stop hiding my light under a bushel to actually like show off when I'm doing good stuff. And I've met a lot of people, <clears throat> particularly a lot of people younger than me, that are really good at stuff, which, like, firstly, <laughs> outrageous, but secondly, like, amazing like do what you're doing and people who are older than me and people who are my age like show off the good that you're doing because it will inspire other people to join you it's the best seeing young people do amazing things because it's like you're the future you know you're gonna be around when I'm gone so that is fantastic and it's also so inspiring to see older women uh, be amazing because it's like I don't know in society we we know the the expectation that like I don't know, as a society we don't really appreciate women after they've after a certain age like women aren't allowed to age in society and seeing older women do amazing things is like holy shit look at that that's visibility right there women still exist after 40 <laughs> And they're still getting great things done. And that's amazing too. Yeah, I think it's a time of change, but it's definitely an opportunity we're all going to rise to. Hmm. All right, I think, I think that'll do it for us. Um, yeah. <laughs> Happy 2017. Yeah, uh, good luck for it. Be safe. Take care of each other. Um, but we've been things of interest. Um, you can find us online on pretty much every social media platform except Instagram and Snapchat. Uh, <laughs> we're on Twitter at Casting Interest, Facebook at Things of Interest, and we have a website, www.thingsofinterest.co. Cool. And um, if you want to email us anything as well, we're also at Things of. Uh, sorry. If you want to send us a voicemail or anything we're at castinginterest at gmail.com if you enjoyed this episode if you enjoy our show please do leave us some stars on the itunes or whatever your your podcast place of choice um and that Mm. that really helps us out um when you leave us reviews on itunes uh even if you don't like us like tell us what we can improve on and we'll respond to that um, and if you do like us, then it helps us get more exposure to people that enjoy us. If you like to recommend us to a friend. And as always, stay interesting. <laughs>